I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to thank you for joining me here as you do each week. Many of you, some of you, perhaps, you only catch me from time to time. And that's part of the reason sometimes I've got to revisit issues uh, time and time again. And of course, we always have to update those issues as well. Um, look, I want to thank those who are listening uh, on the Pacific, Pacifica Networks uh, uh, for joining us here. This is... At its core, a radio show. We do post this show up as a podcast. And, of course, we, we do live stream the show on Facebook Live. And we leave that, um, that live stream up there so people can check it out. And, look, I, I'm grateful. I, I'm seeing that, you know, sometimes, you know, five, six, seven hundred people are, uh, are viewing the videos on Facebook. Um, look, I'm not endorsing any specific platform other than the Pacifica stations that are carrying the, carrying the program. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I do appreciate people taking enough interest in the subject matter, even though, look, I know that I've got to sometimes plow the same earth over and over again. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about the Washington football team. We're going to kind of what I'm saying, put a nail in that coffin uh, about any conversation about the uh, the old racial slur of a name coming back to the team. But I, I want to I lay some of that out and talk about it. I'm also going to talk a little bit about uh, Seneca Gaming, and I know I've talked about both these issues before, but... That clock is ticking. On December 9th or 10th of this year, the current compact between the state of New York and the Seneca Nation expires. So there leaves, a, leaves open a, a couple of questions about what happens when it expires, especially if they don't have a new compact in place, which they won't have. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, I don't need to go over all of the old controversies associated with it. I'll, I'll touch on them a little bit. But, uh, but I want to talk about the fact that 30 years into the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, it's just amazing there could be this many obscure questions and and lack of transparency coming from the federal government. Yeah, I know. Deb Hallin, she's the, the Interior Secretary. And uh, look, I'm happy for her. I'm not necessarily saying I'm happy I'm happy for us, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit too. But first, let me, let me talk about this push to try to get the Washington football team to um, change its name back to the, the racial slur that it was known as, the Washington Redskins. Um, there is a, a group of people that are predominantly non-native, but there are some native people in that group, and they call themselves the Native American Guardians Association. Yeah, I know, last week, I, or the, a couple of weeks, I kept calling them the Native, Amer native American Garbage Association, and I may say that again, but... Um, their, their nickname or their acronym is NAGA. And this group is not endorsed by any native organization, no, no nation, tribe, band, whatever, um, any in, in the United States or Canada. They're not endorsed by, by any native organization uh, or association, not the, you know, the Native American Journalists Association, you know, the National Congress of American Indians. No organizations endorse this group. They are funded through donations, and they get donations primarily from white folks and, and those who are interested in keeping Native mascots. Uh, look, they, they pay these guys to show up at meetings. They pay them to show up to, to board meetings. And, uh, and this group 
because of the, the change in ownership of the Washington football team and some talk about trying to bring back the old glory of the, of the Washington football team, these guys interpret it as, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a door opening. There's an opening there for us to get the, 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 the old name back. And I think even somebody suggested that, Wash, that uh, um, Magic Johnson said something about possibly revisiting a name change. He, wasn't, he never said anything about bringing the old name back, but eh, there's some people that are not happy about the team being called the Washington Commanders. Eh, look, I think there's a lot of names that, that defy explanation. Look, the Los Angeles basketball team is called the Lakers. There's no lake out there. I mean, they get that name from because they started out in the Great Lakes area, I think Milwaukee or something like that. Um, so, look, there's names that, that, that don't make a whole lot of sense. It doesn't make sense to call your team a team of commanders because you wouldn't have a team of commanders. You'd have a commander, and then you'd have the soldiers or the commandos that he commands. Same thing when, when I hear, hear uh, things like the, the Kansas City Chiefs. You wouldn't have a team of chiefs. You would have perhaps a team leader that might be called that. I mean, it's not our word anyway. I mean, you know, the word chief is associated with being, being a leader. You don't have a team. In fact, what's the old expression? Too many chiefs and not enough Indians? I'm not a big fan of those expressions, but, uh, but there you go. It, so, so there's some names that, that just simply don't make any sense. I mean, another native mascot, the Chicago um, NHL team, um, uh, the Blackhawks. I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, Blackhawk was a chief. I mean, to have a team that bears his name and then put a native profile of, 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 of a cartoon profile of a, of a native person up there, there's just, and you know what? And you could call yourself the Blackhawks. I mean, so, I mean, some of these things are, are just nonsensical. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, that's the nature of sports, I guess. And, you know, some of the stuff you get, I'm like, I, I live close, the closest NFL team to, to us here is the, is the Buffalo Bills. I'm not crazy about that name. It, it, it obviously is a playoff of Buffalo Bill Cody, who was a famous Indian killer, native killer. And, and then went on to do his Wild West show, exploiting native imagery, which, you know, <laughs> I guess makes sense when you think about exploiting native imagery for mascots. Plus, I've got some issues. You know, I mentioned, I'm going to talk about Seneca Gaming a little bit. The fact that the, the governor of the state of New York extorted half a billion dollars out of the Senecas only to turn around and give it to the billionaire owner of the Buffalo Bills to build a new stadium. I'm not one of these guys that can, that can put, compartmentalize that kind of stuff. And and ignore the fact that we still never dealt with the Colin Kaepernick thing properly. We've never dealt with the inherent racism that exists in the NFL or the exploitation and, and all that stuff. So, um, look, I, I, I used to love to play football. Um, my grandkids play football, and I'm, I'm all about that. But, you know, I, I really I can't get too excited about the, the state of the NFL, uh, where it has gone. The, the violent nature of it all. I mean, the, we know so much more today about, you know, the trauma that is caused by, by the game. It's just, it's just kind of violent. Um, look, I don't question the athleticism that goes into the sport. And some of that is pretty artistic, almost, you would say. But when part of that artistry is how hard you can hit somebody. I mean, the Buffalo Bills had a guy die on the field playing for them last year. He got hit so hard it stopped his heart. I don't know how you can just look past that. And then the guy comes back, gets in shape to play some more. I mean, it, he got killed playing football. They had to resuscitate him. I mean, it's – anyway, I'm not going to get into a whole commentary about 
you know, how much I've lost, you know, my affinity towards the NFL. But I, I still have an issue with some of the, some of these, you know, these issues. Now, let me get back to the Native American Guardians Association. Again, they are, uh, they are not who they claim to be. They, they want to claim that they represent the 90% of all Native people who uh, love Native mascots. That's simply not true. Look, there is an old Annenberg poll that was done. And, and let's think about how polls are done. If, if I'm going to do a poll and I'm going to pick up a phone and I'm just going to call up a bunch of numbers and then ask the person on the other line, um, do you happen to be Native American? And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, my grandmother was a Cherokee princess or, or whatever else. So you're going to say, okay, now I'm going to segregate all those people who claim to have Native ancestry. And I'm going to say, what, or, or determine what was the percentage of those people that we called uh, that didn't have a problem with the, um, with the Washington football name in particular or Native mascots. Now, first off, this is self-identifying uh, off of cold calls for the most part. And we don't know where these numbers are. They certainly did not target Native people. They just segregated anybody that would, would self-identify as Native people. That's not accurate. I'm sorry. It's just not accurate to say that 90% 90, uh, 90 of those people polled who claim to be Native American, they, those numbers may be true. But the question is, were they really Native? I mean, or, or are they people who, you know, spit in a tube, sent it to Ancestry.com and said, oh, yeah, I got, you know, one-tenth of one percent uh, uh, native blood in me or something like that. Or they have some family lore about their great-great-grandmother, you know, being a Cherokee princess or, or whatever. Um, you know, whatever the case may be, saying that you have, that you are part Indian, which is oftentimes what these, what these folks say, does not make you a native person. You know, that doesn't mean that you have any semblance, you know, or, or any resemblance, I guess, to the culture or to the identity. It's something that you throw out there because somewhere along the line, claiming to be native became this, this popular idea. I mean, and, and it's no more um, indicative of, of what took place in the, the last U.S. Census. According to the last US, U.S. Census, and that was 2020, the, the, those people identifying as Native American, all or in part, I guess, I don't know how the census works, never participated in one myself because I'm not an American. <laughs> I'm not a U.S. citizen, put it that way. But according to the census, the 2020 census, there was an 87% increase in the number of people who identified in their census forms as Native American in some capacity. Now, that is impossible. It is impossible for a population to grow that fast in 10 years. To, to increase your population by 87% in, in 10 years, you, you would have had to found some lost planet that Native people had been exiled to and then brought them all back because you couldn't, we, couldn't, we couldn't reproduce that fast. And so really what it, what, it, what it really means is that more white folks, probably, not just white folks, there's a, there's a lot of you know, black, black people because of their family lore and, of course, that history of slavery and, you know, and, um, and, you know uh, Underground Railroad and, and the interaction of Native peoples and, um, and, and black people and the enslavement of black people right alongside uh, the enslavement of Native people. I mean, all of that stuff contributes to the belief and, and in some places the actuality that there are a significant number of black people. And I heard numbers that, you know, that are, that are really high. I don't know if they're true. Um, that suggest uh, that many black people have native ancestry. 
that still doesn't mean that they are part of the culture. And that this isn't a put down, it's just a matter of fact. If you don't live in a community or have family that lives in, in, a, in a native community, if you aren't associated with a community, a nation, you know, a, a territory, you are basically just living as Americans with, and with or without, maybe, maybe perhaps with some native ancestry. But that doesn't mean that, that, you, have, that you have the right to one, identify yourself as, as a native person or speak on behalf of native people. Now, so that's the poll. The poll that was done by Annenberg, and, and it's like 30 years old, it's been debunked over and over and over again. Subsequent polls have come up with different, uh, you know, different numbers. And in fact, probably the most accurate poll was one that was done, by, I think, by UC Berkeley or something like that. And what they determined was that the more a Native person was aligned or associated with their culture, the more they opposed these, these mascots. And, and here's the reason. First off, let me, let me say, not all Native people are adamantly, adamantly opposed to the use of Native mascots. Not all. Most are. But some people, especially coming back, you know, I'm, I'm in, my, in my 60s now, people in my age group and older, we had very little to identify with in the dominant culture around us. So when teams did adopt names like the Cleveland Indians or the Atlanta Braves or wherever they started out, I don't know where, where it started out being, but when Braves and Indians and Chiefs and, and Reds, even Redskins were used as team names, there was a certain number, a percentage of, of Native people that felt like, yeah, I'm glad there's something in the dominant culture I can identify. I'll wear a Washington Redskins jacket. I'll wear a Cleveland Indians hat or a Blackhawks jersey. Yeah, I'll wear that. Because they felt a certain identity connection there. But that really started to fade, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. And, and so now most people look at that as exploitation. And, of, of course, with, the, with the, the popularity of sports and then the fanaticism, and that's where the word fan comes from, um, that is associated with sports, now you've got people wearing black, or not blackface, I'm sorry, blackface is wrong, we can't do blackface, but you got people wearing redface at, at, uh, at games, you had people wearing headdresses, and I'm not talking about Native people here, I'm talking about the fans of these sports teams, wearing headdresses and redface and, uh, you know, and, and, and really making a mockery, and, and, and frankly, it, it, it borders on, and I think crosses that line, uh, um, to, to identity theft. Because, especially at the high school level, I mean, it's one thing when you think about 50,000 people in a football stadium, professional football stadium, but at the high school level, you've got guys who are 30, 40, 50 years out of high school who are still claiming to be, I was an Indian from the third grade on, and I'm an Indian until the day I die. No, you're not. You're a white person. And, and, but this is, this is the, uh, uh, the amount of identity that these people put stock in into these mascots. And so if you ask a native person, well, how do you feel about the name, the, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs? And they, eh, it doesn't really bother me, it's, 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 it's okay. But now he says, well, how do you feel about the fans who go there in red face and headdresses and beat drums and kind of mock your culture? Yeah, I don't, I don't like that. So, so these polls can be adjusted depending on how you ask the question. And, you know, and, and look, I, and I always pose the question, I, you know, I, I make an analogy. And in fact, I, I had a caller a couple of weeks ago who got mad because I made the analogy. Uh, I, I said, well, what if you had a team that was trying to honor black people? 
You know, without even getting into the debate, what would you call the team? What would the, the mascot or logo or the, you know, what would it be? But where I didn't get to go is, and I've asked some of my friends who, who uh, of, of various races, you know, or who have been segregated into these races or whatever you want to call it. But I've asked, I've asked some black friends, I says, look, if you had a team that managed somehow to get over or get around the hurdles of, of having a racist name uh, or an imagery associated with the team, but it, but it was clearly the name was associated with black people. If you could get through all that, which you can't, but if you could, how would you feel about a community of predominantly white people identifying themselves as black simply because of that, um, that mascot. And I haven't had a single person, a single black person tell me, oh, I'd be okay with that. And, you know, look, there's even expressions out there. Where, you know, I heard an expression called Uyghur or something like that, where they, um, and I'm not talking about Uyghurs. I'm talking about, I'm talking about white people who want to absorb themselves so much into the black culture that they even adopt, you know, Ebonics uh, dialects in their, in, which, which I don't have a problem with, but, it always sounds strange coming from, from a, white, a white person. But, you know, and, and this is the kind of stuff that gets under the skin of black people. They don't like it. Well, you know, we don't like it either. And we certainly don't like seeing 20,000 or 30,000 people with some level of identity theft, either in, their, in the way they dress themselves, not just their uniforms, but the way they dress themselves and face paint and all that other stuff. We don't like it either. But again, depending on how you frame the question, if you just say, um, does, it, does the Atlanta Braves name bother you? You know, you, you would probably get a lot of Native people who say, who say no, nah, it doesn't really bother me. Yeah, well, how do you feel about 30,000 people doing the tomahawk chop? Say, yeah, that's kind of creepy. I mean, see, so it depends on how you ask the question. And, and, uh, and again, when Berkeley did the, um, uh, the poll, they dove in a little deeper. They, they tried to um, distinguish a native person living in a native community who is a part of the native culture and, and living as a native person, really living as a native person, not somebody who's spit in a, in a test tube. Um, and they found that the, the overwhelming majority of people who are close to the culture oppose this. And, and that's why every native organization, every you know, nation, you know, you know, distinguished peoples, I mean, every, every distinct peoples, um, Every association, every organization, they've all condemned this. And I'm just talking about Native. I'm not talking about the, the child development experts and the psychological experts who also have all condemned this. So, I mean, there's no question how and why this is opposed. Now, if you are one of those Native people who perhaps were indifferent about it, or maybe worse yet, you, you feel obsessed that you feel like you're being erased because these teams that have nothing to do with native people are being forced to change. If you, if you are one of those, you probably align yourself with this group called Naga. And one of the, one of its principals is a woman by the name of Eunice Davidson or something like that. And I think she got riled up because of the university of North Dakota, no longer, um, or dropping its name, the fighting Sioux. Now the name Sioux isn't even what the Lakota like to be called. I mean, she identifies herself as Dakota Sioux, you know, well, why would you put both names in there? But of course she has to because this is part of what she's fought for. So she identifies, you know, as native and she says she's a hundred percent, she's a full-blooded Indian, 
And and I don't remember what what nation she's from, um, but it's again one of the Lakota nations. Um, but her nation opposes opposes mascots. And in fact, the handful of people who are on this organization, and it's only lists like six members if you look them up online. So I mean, I don't know what it means to be a member of Naga, but of the native people, the and I hate to use this expression, but I'm going to use it. But if you are uh, identifiable and you can produce documentation that you are part of a native community, or you, even one generation removed, then, you know, and, and that's how you claim you're, that you are native. The problem is whatever, whatever nation you, you are affiliated with, they've condemned this. So you might be opposed to that, but you're not speaking for other native people. You're only speaking for yourself. And, and usually it's because you were some, some adamant fan of the Washington football team or, or perhaps it, you were, you know, obsessed with the University of North Dakota fighting Sioux, or the, uh, the University of Illinois fighting Illini, or, or whatever. I mean, and in all of these cases, you had white people dressing up in costumes, running across football fields, and doing, you know, making a mockery of, of our dance and our culture and everything else. But you might be one of those few Native people who were fine with that. You know, and of course, the word redskin is is particularly problematic because it's because it's defined as as a racial slur. It is it's defined as a derogatory reference to native people. And we can get into the etymology whether it has to do with scalping people and you know bloodying uh, native people, but look, we have color in our skin. But it doesn't mean that we are redskins. And you know so it's just it's it's just not a name even if native people had grown accustomed to be calling it, uh, being called that and then used it in reference. Look, when I was a kid growing up, I mean, if, if we went places and we saw somebody without was native, we'd, we'd, we'd check and say, I wonder if that person's skin. Uh, so we would say skin, meaning, which was short for redskin, but we never said redskin. We never said that. I mean, and we never identified that. In fact, all of the people who claim to be in support of these native mascots, they never actually use those names. They don't, they don't call themselves Indians, they'll call Native Americans. They don't call themselves Redskins, they'll say Native Americans. They won't call themselves savages, warriors, or anything. They will, in relationship to saying, well, I was born an Indian, and I went to the school, and I was an Indian, and I'm always going to be an Indian. But, when they're, but that's when they're talking about themselves. When they're talking about what Native people think, they always, they, they I don't even like being called a Native American, but they'll always somehow reference us as Native Americans. And they'll say, well, 90% of Native Americans are fine with the name. Yeah, but why didn't you use one of those other names then if you think we're so fine with it? Because we're not. Um, so anyway, so that, that's the controversy. But, but so here's what's transpired. This group, again, saw the opportunity with the changing of administrations and, and some of the, the attempt of this new um, ownership to bring back football glory to Washington, D.C. And so they started a petition. And, it, and the petition wasn't just um, sign up if you would like to see the name revert back to the Washington Redskins. Uh, it also involved a, a threat that if they didn't do this, if the Washington football team didn't change their name from the commanders back to the racial slur that they used before, that um, this group, Naga, was going to, uh, was going to promote a boycott against the Washington football team. And they kept comparing it to the, to the Bud Light boycott uh, uh, and, and the losses that Anheuser-Busch took because they had the gall to, um, 
uh, you know, to promote uh, LGTB rights with one of their the, um, a limited labeling of, of their Bud Light cans. Um, and they lost, and I don't know how much money they lost. If they really lost, I mean, there's, there's speculation that goes all around. But that's what this Naga group was, was they were threatening a Bud Light-like um, boycott of the Washington football team. And of course, <laughs> they kind of got, you know, flipped off by the Washington football organization because that, that, the Washington commanders named Bud Light as the official beer of the Washington commanders, which, you know, and, and that made some of these Naga folks lose their minds. And I, and I talked about that. But a couple of things have happened since we, I last talked about this. One is um, one of the, the um, prime sales managers of the suites and, the, and that kind of stuff, the box seats and that kind of stuff of the, uh, of the FedEx field, which is where the Washington Commanders play, got into a little bit of a heated discussion with a fan who was just adamant about changing the name back. And, and you know, she was touting this Native American Guardians Association. And so, and this guy's name is Matt Locks, or L-A-U-X, so Locks, Lokes, uh, Locks. Um, and he said, you do realize that this is a fake group, right? And, and that made this Naga organization lose their minds. And of course, all the white folks stay quiet when they get called fake, right? There's Andre Bilodeau and you know, other, you know, some of these other white folks that try to you know, speak as if they are really Native when they're not, or Mark Lone Wolf, Yancey, Yazzie, or whatever his name is. I mean, he goes, he goes by a bunch of different names. Yeah, so all, all these, all the fake natives kind of fade into the woodwork, and they try to bring out a couple that, that look more native and that, you know, can somehow substantiate or claim they can substantiate that they, that they are, you know, part of a native community or, or, or were at one time. And so anyway, they, they lose their mind. But it gets worse because the, just this past week, apparently, um, and, and the, let me be clear here, the Washington football team has not come out and specifically addressed the name issue until this past week. And the president of the team came out and said, it is not, um, it is not being considered, period. What he re said, re referring to re reverting back to the old name. He said, it is not being considered, period. And, of course, that made them lose their minds again. So, um I'm hoping we can finally put this thing to rest. And look, there's no question that this group, they got a lot of airtime. Uh, Newsmax and, you know, OAN and all these right-wing organizations, Breitbart, <laughs> um, Fox News, of course. They were eating this stuff up. They loved being able to, you know, put a couple of brown-skinned Native people up there and say, uh, oh, yeah, we oppose this uh, cancel culture and, um, you know, this whitewashing uh, of, you know, of, of our culture and, you know, and they, and they make it claim like, they make it seem like having, being used for native mascots is the way to promote our identity. And of course it's not, it, the use of us as native mascots is actually erasure itself because there's never an attempt to, to clarify anything. I mean, look, the, the Kansas city football team called the chiefs, their name doesn't even come from naming them after native people. Their name comes from the fact that the mayor of Kansas City, who brought the team to the, to, to the city, his nickname was Chief. So in honor of him, they called the team the Kansas City Chiefs. And then they called the stadium Arrowhead Stadium, and, the, and then they start bringing in all of this, um, you know, your typical stereotypical native tropes and, and, and comments and tomahawk chops and all that other stuff. But 
it's all built on a, on really on the premise of naming the team after a white guy. It's not even named after native people. So, it, so it's, it's kind of absurd. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's hard to, you know, to, to give this organization any credit because they are rejected. In fact, they've been condemned by most, most notable native organizations, including the National Congress of the American Indian, uh, Native American Journalists Association has written badly about these guys in the country today. I mean, all of the, nat the main mouthpieces to address native issues uh, have, have condemned this group and, and, and have basically, look, they aren't just outliers. Because like I said, within native communities and within the native population, I mean, and I mean the legitimate native population, there are those who are not, like I said, they're not appalled by being used for native mascots. You know, if you break it down a little bit closer, you'll, you, you know, more clearly, you'll find they're not crazy about white people mocking us. But on the face, there's, you know, it's, well, you know, Chiefs isn't a derogatory name. Braves isn't derogatory. Uh, Redskins might be, but, uh, you know, Savage might be. I mean, some of these other Raiders might be, but, yeah, but it's not all the names are derogatory. But see, that's not just the point. The point isn't just that they're, that, look, nobody chooses a mascot that is, intentionally an insult. For whatever reason, they do choose some mascots that are not necessarily complimentary, like Raider or Savage, you know, you know, or, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, these are not exactly names that, you know, Pirates, for instance. Why would you call your team the Pirates? I mean, that's like calling yourself Outlaws. And, and maybe, well, I guess I've heard of a team called the Outlaws, too. So I guess... Some people like this idea of the bad boys of sports kind of thing. And, and so by having a negative or a derogatory association with the people, like Native people, then that fulfills part of that, you know, that characteristic that people are grabbing. But, but regardless, if, if you think you're honoring Native people, we're telling you you aren't. And, and when I say we, I don't mean just me. I mean the people that I speak to and, and all of the, 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 you know, the, the native organizations across the country, or the continent, I should say. So, no, it's, um, it is, there's no question that being mocked in this way is, is not something that we embrace. But like I said, not every native person agrees with this. But this group of, this Naga group, they aren't just in that in, in that segment of, of Native society that, that seems to be tolerant of Native mascots. No, they're obsessed with it. So they're not just outliers. They're not just on the edge of that spectrum. They're off the charts. They endorse white supremacy. They, I mean, the, there's no coincidence that Naga and Maga rhyme with each other. I mean, there's no, I mean, they've, they've condemned Black Lives Matter. Obviously, they, they did the whole Bud Light boycott threat. Uh, you know, and that is a roundabout slam against LGTB. Any marginalized people, no, they're standing with white people. They're, they're, they're funded by white people. And so they, they are not just within the big tent of, uh, of Native population that, that may not be as adamantly opposed to this, uh, to this usage as, say, I am. And the reason I am as, a, as opposed to is because I've studied it. I've looked at it. I've read the research. I've read, you know, I've read the reports that have been done. And I've experienced. See, if some of these guys who claim to be Native, if they lived in a Native community, if they really did, that's not the same thing as 
living in a white community and feeling awkward because all those white people are claiming to be Indians or Redskins or Warriors or whatever else. Or if you happen to be one of the, the few Native people in a school to be looked at almost tokenized, I would say. Now, uh, granted, I'm going to tell you, some Native people, some people who don't have a strong cultural connection to their, you know, to their community that, that they claim to be affiliated with, they may eat that stuff up. And I know, I've, I have friends. I have friends who, who don't ever go to, I mean, I have friends who are Oneida and Onondaga. They don't go to Onondaga and Oneida, but they live in these white communities. Cambridge and New York in particular, and they love being the Cambridge Indians. In fact, they probably get more a more a stronger sense of identity from the from the school calling themselves the Cambridge Indians than they do from their parents or grandparents' um, affiliation with the Onondaga or Oneida Nation. Which, by the way, both nations condemn the use of native mascots. So now that the team president has said, "That's it. Period. We're not we're not reconsidering the name." I mean. And that's not to say that they, they have totally settled on calling themselves the commanders, but according to um, uh, uh, Jason Wright, the team president, reverting back to the old name is not even being considered, period. That's what he said. And, and of course, again, sales managers, you know, when, when confronted, anytime somebody's trying to confront them with this Naga organization, they're just a bunch of frauds. They're fakes. And they are. Look, they are either the lunatic fringe of, uh, of those who are native or they're outright frauds because many of them are. And, you know, so I let, they got a lot of play. They got a lot of press, you know, on the, on the right wing, you know, white supremacy uh, news channels. Um, and if you think that's a good thing, if they think it's a good thing, I guess it's good for them. And they probably got, I'll bet they got an uptick in their funding. They were doing um, a GoFundMe thing, I think. So not only were they were they doing, and, and they got signatures. Look, I think they got like 120,000, 128,000 signatures. I mean, that sounds like a lot. I mean, for a, you know for a petition, but in the overall scheme of things, we know how how predominant white folks, white fandom, uh, you know, fandomania is with with football. I mean, um, I'm not saying that black people don't like football, you know, or or, or native people, but um, no, there's no question that you know, the, from a, the consumer standpoint, it's, look, going to a football game is expensive. So if you're not upper white class, white middle class, you know, or, you know income, you're, you're probably, you probably can't even go to a game. You know, you know I, I talked about the, Washington, or the Buffalo Bills building a new stadium. They actually built a smaller stadium with, a stadium with, with more expensive seats. So the average Buffalonian, regardless of color, is, uh, is going to have a hard time going to a game. And, and, and the whole idea was they're going to give this billionaire, Terry Pagula and his wife Kim, you know, half a billion dollars. Actually, the state, I think, committed almost a billion dollars to help build a stadium under the threat that, that the Pagulas would, move, would sell the team or move the team to, to another city. So now it stays in the city with fewer seats. Only wealthier people are going to be able to go there. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, the whole thing is just bizarre. So anyway, let me get let me shift gears a little bit. As I said, um, by the second week of December of this year, 2023, the 
gaming compact that is currently in place is set to expire between New York State and the Seneca Nation. Uh, some people are, you know, are pulling their hair out over this thing. I, I'm not as concerned about it. Of course, I got to say, I'm not Seneca. I'm, I'm Mohawk. I just happen to live in Seneca territory. But I, I think part of the confusion is Iger was passed in like, I don't know, 1989 or something like that. I mean, it's, it's been in place for over 30 years. And one of the uh, early challenges to, to Iger came from the state of Florida because part of the, uh, the, the requirement of Iger was that the nations had to negotiate a gaming compact with the state that they are within, which even that language is problematic. If you're a native territory that is surrounded by New York State, does that mean you're in New York State? And when you say in, does that mean that you're a part of New York State? I mean, the Seneca Nation makes the argument that they aren't, but that's, that's a whole other issue. But anyway, um, so the, what, the state, what the state of Florida did was said, if IGRA says that we must negotiate, the states this is, must, must negotiate in good faith with, with tribes or nations, um, or that we can be sued. Well, we, we reject that. In fact, there's the, I think the 11th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, it, it involves states' rights. And so Florida did a, um, a, a challenge to IGRA, and they had to strike that. They had to, they had to remove that from the law. So right now, if a state doesn't negotiate in good faith, either to open a casino or keep one open, there's nothing that Native people can do to the state to force them. They can't sue them, even though the law says that they must, I mean, and, and, it, and it does, it still says that the states must negotiate in good faith. So they, the, the Interior Department, and I'm not just blaming Deb Haaland, she's just the, the most recent person sitting in that position. The Interior Department has never offered clarity on what happens in the absence of, uh, of a nation being able, or a tribe or whatever, being able to sue a state over, over a gaming compact. So it leaves a question mark. So can a state deny a native people um, the right to do gaming? Not according to IGRA. There was, there was not, no way the state was supposed to be empowered that way. But in language, early in the language, it says that, that part of IGRA requires a state-nation gaming compact. But what does that mean? And what does it mean for an existing facility? The Seneca Nation's been, they, they, their gaming operations have been open for over 20 years. So what does that mean as you get to the end of the, the term of a compact? And this isn't just brand new for the Seneca. The Seneca's have always been concerned because it was, you know, six, six and a half years ago, uh, there was an automatic renewal of the original 14 years that would go to 21 years. Um, and the concern that the Senecas had, if they didn't play nice with the state, the state would not renew the, would, would object to that automatic renewal. And what would that mean? Well, and the implication was that if the state doesn't renew your compact or negotiate a new compact, then you'll have to shut down. And that's simply not true. But even this interior secretary, one who was familiar with gaming because she worked for Laguna Pueblo's um, uh, gaming operation, even this interior secretary, native woman, has not addressed this issue and made it clear that no, states, you cannot force a native casino to close because you don't want to negotiate in good faith. And by good faith, what does that mean exactly? Well, one thing that the states can't do, they can't force 
under the law, force Native territories to pay them. Now, the, the states cannot force a gaming opera, a Native gaming operation, to pay them. I mean, and that's clear in the law. But what's allowed in these gaming compact negotiations is they can negotiate revenue sharing. And revenue sharing must, according to the Interior Department, must involve the state making a substantial concession to the native gaming operation that can be quantified in value for some percentage of revenue sharing or some uh, way of determining revenue sharing, whether it's a percentage or whether it's a fixed number or whatever it is. And New York State never did that. They, they claimed that they were going to provide an exclusivity. That's the most common thing that a state offers, like in Connecticut. They, they offered the Mashantaka Pequots and the and Mohican Sun, they offered them exclusivity. The state would not issue state licenses for casinos. And for that, they pay the, the state of Connecticut uh, a certain percentage of their, of, uh, you know, of their revenue. But what New York said is, well, we're going to offer you exclusivity only for class three gaming machines, meaning slot machines. Now, here's the problem with that. <laughs> the state couldn't do class three gaming machines anyway. The state was, was prohibited by their state constitution from doing class three gaming um, since the 50s. Now, once the Senecas and, and, and Mohawks and Oneidas had, were, were building a, a gaming market up, I think the state always had an idea, a, a, an eye on the possibility of changing their constitution. In fact, they had initiated this effort before. And to change the constitution of the state of New York, you have to pass an amendment um, through two successive legislatures. So two years in a row, you've got to pass the amendment, then you have to put it to a public referendum. And they never were able to do that until 2013. Now, in 2013, the Senecas had already been open for, for 11 years. Again, they were open, and they were paying for an exclusivity that the state never really gave them because the state couldn't do class gaming anyway. But in 2013, the state changed its amendment, or amended its constitution, and then began the process of developing gaming licenses, issuing licenses, um, authorizing locations, and allowing, I think there was only a handful, like, like three casinos to be built. One of them got built right on the edge of the Seneca gaming market, right on the edge, on the other side of Rochester. Um, but they wouldn't open up until, until 2017. In 2016, the 14-year period that laid out the payments for revenue sharing expired. So for all intents and purposes, the Seneca's paid for an exclusivity for something the state couldn't do during the entire term of the payment schedule. And that schedule started out at 22% of the gross revenue, uh, the gross slot revenue. Or I'm sorry, started at 18 then uh, for two years, then it was 20 uh, 22% for five years, then it was um, then it was 25% of the gross gaming revenue, which is really closer to 50% of the operational, the net revenue of the, um, uh, you know, of the gaming operation. Up to 50%. And this wasn't really an exclusivity. The state couldn't do it anyway. And, and, and then by the time the state could do class three gaming, according to the compact, that term had expired. They were only, it only listed paying for, for 14 years. 
So then the states, you know, took the Seneca Nation to arbitration, had two white guy, white judges there that said, well, no, we're, even though it doesn't say it in there, we're going to assume the Senecas have to keep paying. So they actually added language. They violated the four-corner doctrine of contract law and said, yeah, even though it doesn't say it in there, we're going to say it does, and we're going to put it in there. So for the last six and a half years, the Senecas are paying for something they never agreed to. I mean, they never signed up to pay for these last, you know, the last seven years of this renewal period, but they've been forced to do it. And when I say forced, again, let me revisit what Kathy Hochul did. She froze the, the Seneca Nation's operation accounts. I mean, and not just for the casino, but all of the Seneca Nation's operation accounts. So she essentially froze their, 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 their bank accounts to the point where paychecks were bouncing. Some of the payments, I mean, the Seneca Nation is writing checks every single day to vendors, to, you know, to, you know, to employees, to, you know, management, all kinds of stuff. They froze the accounts. And so these people, so people literally couldn't cash their checks. In fact, the Seneca Nation told their people, all the employees, um, don't deposit your checks. Hold on to them. If you've been issued a check this, this week, don't be, don't deposit them. So this happened on a Friday. By Monday, the Seneca's, and here's the crazy part. Kathy Hogle didn't sweep. She didn't clear out the, the account that had the money that, that, she was, that she claimed to be owed, which was like $640 million. She didn't clear the account out. In fact, didn't touch that account. That was the only place that money could still go in, <laughs> where money could go in. She just went after the operational accounts. So by, by that Monday, the Seneca Nation um, paid, the, paid the governor $640 million. Then she turned around and gave over $400 million of that to uh, Terry and Kim Pagula for their new stadium. I mean, it, it's so th when I say forced, this was extortion. This was, I'm going to shut your entire nation's economy down, all of your programs, your governmental functions. I'm shutting you down. She actually used a law that is in place for when people uh, are, are issued a fine and refuse to pay it. So she actually treated this revenue sharing as a fine that was due to her. It, it's absurd. So where the where the negotiations have gone thus far for a new compact which would which is supposed to you know come into effect by by the end of this year the state you know pitched you know some ridiculously high amount uh, again of the gross gaming revenue like 19 and a half percent almost 20 percent and then concocted some plan by which they somehow would take credit for Assisting the Seneca Nation for putting a casino in Rochester. Nobody wants to build a casino in Rochester. Rochester doesn't want a casino built in Rochester. There's already one built on the other side of Rochester that's failing. And the, the fact of the matter is the gaming market has changed since 20 years ago when the Seneca Nation opened up. 20 years ago when the Seneca Nation opened up, there was a desire by New York State for the Seneca Nation in particular to open up as casinos. Why? because money was flowing across the Canadian border, right across Niagara Falls uh, border there into Niagara Falls, Canada. Uh, and people were, go were, were going to Canada in droves to gamble. And so money was leaving, not just New York State, it was leaving the United States. So New York State said, something's gotta stop that. And the only thing we have in place right now is Seneca Nation. So let's, uh, let's work out a, a gaming compact 
um, with them and you know get them operational so that money will stay here. And to be clear, the Seneca Nation is here. They, they don't have offices in Vegas or Miami or Boca Raton or anything else. No, the Seneca Nation is here in Western New York. Every dime the Seneca Nation, Seneca Nation takes in, by whatever means, gambling, you know, gaming, gas, cigarettes, whatever, every dime gets spent right back here in Western New York. Every dime. I mean, look, when they pay a Western New York vendor, if that vendor has presence in another place, but, but everything gets spent right here. All of their employees come from here. And the vast majority, and I want to say like 80% or higher of, of all of the Seneca Nation employees are white. So they're paying income tax, state income tax. Now, we may not pay a lot, a lot of taxes. We do pay taxes. We don't pay state income tax. But of the five, almost 6,000 employees the Seneca Nation has, over 80% of them pay state income tax. If any other company goes into any city, but certainly into Buffalo, and created 5,000 jobs and, and an incredible increase in tax revenue, and I don't mean just from employees. I'm talking about from vendors and their employees and, 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 and all of the, the you know, taxable transactions that their vendors make. Anybody could bring this much tax revenue, this much employment, and, and, and notoriety to Western New York. I mean, the kind of investment in, into taking Western New York, which was looking pretty bad across the rest of the United States. The state will be paying that company the state would be offering them infrastructure deals, you know, um, um, operating capital. All they do, but instead, not New York State. New York State says, "No, I know you're 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 generating a billion and a half dollars worth of economic activity in Western New York, and we benefit from that because you you don't really have much of an economy on territory, but, but and we benefit from that. We know that, but we want you to pay more." We want you to make direct payments to us. We want half of your gaming revenue in the form of revenue sharing. So not only are you going to provide us, meaning the state in Western New York, with a billion and a half dollars worth of economic um, impact, we're going to, we're going to take, a, you know, a, in over 20 years, it's been $2.2 billion. And, and almost half of that, well, over half of that, I should say, left the area. It went, went to Albany. So a billion dollars got sucked right out of Western New York altogether by the state. So nobody's ever determined what the economic impact of that kind of sucking sound of uh, dollars leaving the area makes. But any other company that provided a region with the amount of economic impact the Seneca Nation has would be handsomely rewarded. And now look, the Seneca Nation doesn't need the, the same kind of tax abatements that, you know, that companies like Tesla or Amazon or, you know, Geico or any of these other big players that came into Western New York asked for and received. But just the idea that you, that you want to essentially tax us in the form of revenue sharing on top of it, something you're not, you're not even entitled to. So that's the roadblock that exists. Now, many of the Seneca Nation officials are convinced that the exclusivity for those class three machines is still something they need to secure, which they don't because 
Nobody's going to build a class three facility. I mean, the Seneca Nation officials will even say, well, what if the state comes in and puts uh, slot machines in all their C-stores? They can't. It's against their law. They would have to have two successive legislator, le legislatures and, and some sort of public reference. They'd have to change the law. They'd have to change their constitution. To put slot machines in a C-store? It's one thing for them to have put their class two slot machines in racetracks and then authorize three class three machines, uh, class three facilities. But the idea that C-stores would have to pay a gaming license to, the New, York, to New York State and, and a casino license is half a billion dollars just by itself, just for the license. Then you're just spending another half a billion dollars to build a facility. But there's no way that C-stores are going are, are gonna to all of a sudden turn into little slot parlors. And if they did, they'd have to pay 40% of their gross gaming revenue to New York State and compete against the Seneca Nation paying nothing. So the Seneca's not paying is their competitive advantage. Look, they paid for, for, for almost 14 years for something, for, for nothing, essentially. They paid $2.2 billion. They only made $2.4 billion in that same time frame. The best thing the Seneca Nation can do to secure their future in gaming is stop giving the money away. Or if you're going to give it away, give it to your own people. Don't give it to New York State. So that's the impasse because the state wants money. They want the Seneca Nation to pay them. And, and they don't really have much they can threaten the Seneca Nation with. Look, the Western New York is a saturated market. And the best way to secure your place in a saturated market is to do everything you can to maintain your competitive advantage. And that competitive advantage comes from not giving your money away to the state. So that's the impasse. That's the impasse that exists. And there's no way that the state and Seneca Nation are going to resolve that and have a compact in place before December 9th. They just won't. It can't happen. So we get back to that same question. Where is Deb Haaland? Where's Deb Haaland to tell the Seneca people, look, don't worry, if your compact expires, you're, you can keep operating, and, and no, you're not going to have to keep paying 50% of your revenue to, uh, to New York State. You'll, you'll just continue with the same regulatory scheme that you have, but not necessarily pay. I mean, that's all she's got to say. But she hasn't yet. That's the problem. All right, so I wanted to at least give you an update on those two things. Uh, I will be back next week, uh, and we'll do it all again. I want to thank you for listening. I'm John Cain here on WPFW and your Pacifica stations. Thanks for listening. Yahweh.